Hi, everyone. Before we get started, I just want to remind you about a couple of webinars that recently opened for registration. First, we have Young and the Environment with Jungian analyst Dennis Merritt, PhD, LCSW, on Friday, October 1st, from 1 to 4 p.m. via Zoom. We also have Young, Buddha, and the Middle Way, a historical and personal journey with Jungian analyst Barbara Friedman, PhD, on Friday, November 5th, from 1 to 3 p.m., also via Zoom. So for either of those, you can just visit our website, youngchicago.org. Thanks. the Jung Anthology podcast from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. Today we have the second episode of Healing Cinema, where Jungian analysts Judith Cooper and Dan Ross discuss Alfred Hitchcock's 1954 film Rear Window. They touch on a number of topics, including anima and animus, where and senex, projection, the fear of intimacy and marriage, the patriarchal gaze, the conductio, the Shadow, and The Trickster. They also mentioned the fairy tale of Bluebeard, uh, which they also mentioned the last episode, so there's a link to more information about that in the show notes if you're interested. And before we get to them, I want to share submissions from our listeners. Patrick from Toronto, Canada says, I'm 22, and I developed an interest in Jungian psychology following a set of problems I went through in my teens where my mother and I became estranged for about a year and a half during which I fell into a toxic relationship. After about that amount of time, I ended up going to therapy and my therapist recommended I read The Unconscious Mind by Jung, which was my first real introduction to his thinking. I subsequently found this podcast trying to understand his thought better, and I'm looking for concepts that could allow me to better understand my social environment, thus reducing my anxiety which has developed since my teens. I have avoidant tendencies, and I'm trying to use Jungian thought to reframe my problems such that I can improve. Thanks to everybody who has shared something about themselves so we can get a sense of who our listeners are. You can learn a little bit about each other. If you'd like to submit something, uh, just click the link in the show description for a link to an online forum where you can share a little about yourself. You can support this free podcast by making a donation, becoming a member of the Institute, or making a purchase in our online store. Your support enables us to provide free and low-cost educational resources to all. So now here's Judith and Dan. Hello. Uh, hello again. Uh, this is Dan Ross, and I am with Judith Cooper. Hello. We are analysts uh, at the C.G. Young Institute of Chicago, and this is our second um, episode of what we have called Healing Cinema, uh, in which we look at a film uh, and, and talk about it uh, from a Jungian perspective also from a psychoanalytic perspective. And uh, last time we did uh, Gaslight. And this time, the film that we're gonna talk about is Rear Window, Hitchcock's uh, film that uh, 
some have considered to be one of his best films. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that's a, a, yeah. up for debate. Um, <laughs> uh, it certainly got uh, our interest enough to uh, to bring it into this um, podcast. Yes. And I think last time we talked about uh, what, what's the, what's our purpose uh, in providing this, and and we talked about um, so just as a reminder that we want to use film because uh, both of us love film as a way into understanding uh, Jungian uh, concepts, Jungian analysis, and uh, just the the whole world of analytical psychology. And film provides us some mechanism for that and gets us mm-hmm. out of our head, uh, which is always a temptation and, and a hazard with this stuff, right? <laughs> yes. John it gets Beebe, us into our body, body it, right? It does. It does. And John Beebe, the San Francisco analyst, says we actually get to see the archetypes behaving on the screen. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And interacting. Wow. Interacting. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm just going to introduce kind of the, the demographics of the, of the film. Um, uh, actually, before I do that, I, I want to throw one other thing out that I was telling Judith, I was going to include that I didn't include with the gaslight podcast. And that is uh, a statement by young when he was uh, in his essay on literature, the psychology, psychology and literature, was a statement about what he saw as the difference between a psychological work and a visionary work of art. And the difference kind of moves us into working with these films to raise the question, which is this? And This statement, I think, reflects what Jung meant by the difference between the two. He says, quote, in dealing with the psychological mode of creation, we need never ask ourselves what the material consists of or what it means. But the question forces itself upon us when we turn to the visionary mode. We are astonished, confused, bewildered, put on our guard, or even repelled. We demand commentaries and explanations. We are reminded of nothing in everyday life, but rather of dreams, nighttime fears, and the dark, uncanny recesses of the human mind. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? It is. Yes. He also said uh, in that essay, uh, one of the ways differences uh, in, in the psychological and the visionary is the psychological work is more about the artist and the visionary is more about uh, the, the um, mm. archetypes or the, mm-hmm. you know, what, yeah. what the, the underlayment of, uh, yeah. of consciousness. Yeah. But, you know, Dan, I think with Hitchcock, um, we could say that he straddles both of those because mm. He's a visionary because he does pull images from the collective unconscious Mm. and he puts his own neurotic issues on the screen as as a, as an, what's called an auteur, which is his own creative vision. You you can't mistake a Hitchcock film for any, anyone else. So it's interesting that that, that distinction is it, it, it's both. It really is. of Of a visionary 
filmmaker like Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. There's, you know, sometimes uh, thinking about this film uh, in particular, it, it was so tightly constructed, Yes, uh, you know, in a Hitchcockian way that um, uh, leaves you, it leaves you satisfied in one sense and unsatisfied in another sense that what is, what are the things that are breaking out of this, his tightly constructed story? What, what, what's breaking out? And I think there's some things that stood out for you uh, that we can talk about. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember uh, I'm jumping ahead, but we'll, we'll, we'll go back to the beginning. The, mm -hmm. the thing that stood out to me, the, the next time I watched it after you mentioned it was Jimmy Stewart's um, reaction to when Grace Kelly was mm -hmm. in trouble, when she mm -hmm. was being attacked, when she was, and it was really, I think, telling. <gasps> that was a moment, oh, his, you know, rational and very calm demeanor that, you know, was, was prevalent. That's everything unraveled uh, for him in that moment. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. very interesting. So let's, yeah. let's, let's keep that in mind. Absolutely. Um, his emotional reaction, his terror of harm yeah. to her was extreme. Yeah. Yeah. So should I read the summary then? Yes, um, please yeah. do. Let, let me, let me preface it with oh, sure. the, um, of course, the film is directed by Alfred Hitchcock, the writer is John Michael Hayes, and it's based on a short story, It Had to Be Murder, by Cornell Woolrich, starring James Stewart, J Grace Kelly, Wendell Corey as the detective, and Thelma Ritter as the nurse. Yes, yes, okay. Um, the story is that Jimmy Stewart plays um, as Jeff, is a globe-trotting photojournalist confined to his Greenwich Village apartment while he recuperates from a broken leg. Bored and frustrated by his incapacitation and immobility, he begins to spy on his neighbors, one of whom, Lars Thorwald, he suspects of having killed his wife. Although disturbed by his voyeurism, Jeff's physiotherapist, Stella, played by Thelma Ritter, and his glamorous young girlfriend, Lisa, played by Grace Kelly, help him investigate the murder, eventually bringing Thorwald to justice. And um, I need to say, I think that that's a summary from the new book out by Edward White called 12 Lives of Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. <laughs> so, it sounds like a fascinating book it, it, yeah, to get into yeah. Hitchcock, because I think, you know, you're, you're right that when we're looking at a Hitchcock film, we're looking at all of Hitchcock because it's hard not to think of his other films mm -hmm. and, and to, you know, and I don't do that with a lot of directors, you know, mm -hmm. where you start looking at, at one work and then uh, the other works conjure up and you're wondering, wow, what's what's going on here? And um, that's because Hitchcock actually references his other films. I mean, in this one, there's a couple lines where somebody says the dog knew too much, you know, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> film after this, the man who knew too much. Anyway, yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. What was the other one? Um, I think I think there's I think there's another line about how uh, women I can't remember uh, it, I think maybe it's a reference that, uh, that somebody said it ends up women know, know better women know better women know better versus, okay the man okay. knew too much the man knew too much 
I love it. Hitchcock appears in every one of his films. It does. So it's like a through line there. It does. And how he appears in this, in this film uh, fascinates me. Um, he is, he is standing by the, in the uh, studio of the uh, songwriter while the songwriter is on the piano and he's, winding the clock or setting the clock or something, says yeah. something to him, yes. you know, this, the image of time mm -hmm. uh, is interesting to me because mm -hmm. it's time is structured. Time is um, mm -hmm. time is mortality. Time is Senex, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going into mm -hmm. the Jungian idea. And uh, Jeff is um, quite the puer, isn't he? he is. Afraid he is. to grow up. Yes. He's uh, he's terrified of getting married. Yes. The opening scene, he's referencing he's in trouble yeah. because his girlfriend, Lisa, is after him to get married. Yes. And almost every every interaction is about uh, when he comments uh, on looking out his rear window, looking at his neighbors across the courtyard. He sees one after the other, most of them either lonely and trying to be in relationship or in uh, in uh, dysfunctional relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it seems to be dominated uh, by a, a longing mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. for, for love. This is a movie about problems with love um, mm -hmm. and various versions of love and various versions of relationship. This is about the masculine and the feminine mm -hmm. and the complications and difficulties right, around right. that, mm -hmm. including one aspect uh, that, that presents the murderer, right? One, mm -hmm. one resolution to a marriage is murder, right? <laughs> 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 and I'm thinking about that in terms of, you know, this, this is just post-World War II, mm. but not, not too post-World War II in which... Right, 1954. 1954. And men are coming back from the war, getting married, having baby boomers. And, mm -hmm. and so um, what did they bring back from the war was my thinking. If we look at the historical context... Yes. The they bring back aggression and rage and murderousness. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then how does that spill over into attitudes toward women, the women during the war that took over some men's jobs? And, right. Right. And how we know that in the 50s, they had to settle back into their role of domesticity. Right. But that, yeah, that aggression is key. Um, I think just in, just even in terms of the image of the voyeurism, mm. it, it, it seems like a passive activity, but I think there's a lot of aggression in it. Yeah, uh, it is aggressive. It's it's penetrative. Penetrative. That's a good word. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe that's the opposite of aware too. Uh, would that be? Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, um, I think his, well, I was thinking of the pen, penetrative uh, aspects of the voyeurism in terms of uh, kind of a substitute for, for 
true aggression, substitute for, mm-hmm. for direct aggression. It's, it's all, mm-hmm. um, it's passive. Uh, and it's almost as if he's conjuring up in these, in these rear windows, you know, what's going on inside of him. I mean, that oh, was my, my first oh, thought, right? Completely projective. Right? Yeah. Right. And in fact, I think we could say that even his suspicion of, of a murder says something about his own double binding of wanting yeah. to murder Lisa. I mean, yes. that's belief, but he loves her, but he feels so entrapped by her. Yeah. Yes. You know, that article, um, um, I have to reference because it brought up something I, I didn't catch by Gerald Eisenberg. It was a review. That wasn't there. It's the one I sent you. Uh, it's a rev- It's by uh, Robert Benton, a psychoanalyst. Uh-huh. And it's, it's film as dream. Alfred Hitchcock's rear windows uh, back uh-huh. in 1984. What he suggests, which I didn't make the connection to was when Lisa comes to stay, spend the night and she pulls out her uh, nightgown, negligee, yeah. that it resembles Mrs. Thorwell's nightgown. Oh, 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 okay. Uh, well, when she, when uh-huh. she was in, in bed and, and uh-huh. yeah, in, in, in her invalid. nightgown. Yeah, huh, well. So- it, Which I, go along with what you say, you're saying that he's, um, that that he's projecting, in, in, in a sense, the 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 uh, the murderer, uh, the the predator, the murderous inclinations that are unconscious, um, yeah. to this to this rear window world. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I I think it's a it, it, there's a lot of projections flying around in this movie because I would yeah. say too he. He, he identifies with the wife because mm. he's immobile. He's stuck in a wheelchair, Jeff. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he's, he's, he probably sees himself as damaged for the temporarily. Mm-hmm. So he both, he both identifies with the wife and the husband, but mm. Mr. And Mrs. Thorwald. And maybe, maybe the identification with the wife is more conscious. And the identification with the murderer is more deeply, deeply unconscious. Unconscious, yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, but but I think you're right that he he sees himself as a as um, uh, disabled. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is he is disabled and complains about it to his editor. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's used to gallivanting around the world. Right, so right. he's chomping at the bit to get back up again. And so he's really feeling trapped. Right. But that's interesting image of her, of Lisa appearing in the nightgown. And that could yeah. just head him off all over again in terms of a threat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of what she wants from him to be married. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, going back to the beginning, the, the uh, introduction of all the characters in mm. her windows and then Thelma Ritter's um, revealing conversation with him about his, um, his dilemma with Lisa and his not seeing any way that the, their two worlds can come together. So already he's rigid. I, I saw the, the, the image of the 
the cast um, yes. as reflecting his rigidity and his yes. personality, right? He's just, yes. um, he's, he's in this rigid place uh, yeah. where he, he can't, he can't psychologically, he can't move physically and psychologically. Right. And the psychoanalytic article you sent, we read, relates it to the uh, image of castration and, yeah. and vulnerability in the masculine. And so the, um, it, it's, uh, it's more than just his own rigidity, but maybe the rigidity of masculinity in mm -hmm. the culture, perhaps. Mm. I mean, I think there's some thinking about Hitchcock. Uh, it's un he, he made a lot of his female actresses suffer, <laughs> literally, but there's some critical views of Hitchcock and there's, uh, that say that he, it, critics, one critic in particular, is not, it says that he, we're not sure whether he's, he's a feminist or he's a misogynist. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he shows a lot of images of women suffering in the culture. Yes. You can go through that, uh, go back to Miss Lonely Hearts at some point. And, and, and you made the comment a while back, which I had been thinking about, that why does Hitchcock require all of his women to subject themselves to all these dangerous uh, life situations in order to get into relationship with the masculine? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And, and here's another example of it. Yes, and you have pointed out, Dan, it's the immature, undeveloped masculine Mm -hmm. that puts the feminine at risk. That, yeah. That's so beautiful. That, that we see this so clearly in this film. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost as if his, his psychological state is conjuring up this whole, this whole mm -hmm. dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and as I said, suggested before, when he sees Lisa in, in the struggle with Thorwell, Mm -hmm. um, and he panics and just mm -hmm. beside himself. It was so well acted that that scene is when I think we really see um, a coming to terms mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the, the 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 predator, the fantasy, the mm -hmm. the murderousness, the dangerousness of this. There there's mm -hmm. some there seems to be some type of break that happens there. Absolutely, we don't yeah. see that kind of. We see his admiration of her heroism and right. before that, but the fear of losing her, yeah, is, uh, it, it overcomes him with just terror. He, he, he yeah. doesn't. It, it's so well acted. I would say too, Dan, that that is. This is a generalization, but men's dependency needs mm. are really hidden and yeah. and uh, and uh, uh, repressed. Yes, and 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 as all along he's fighting, connecting with her, and the threat of losing her it yeah. overwhelms him. Yeah, he can't barely tolerate it. Yeah, yeah. I think the dependency is an interesting thing to think about because in my practice, I mm -hmm. I experience men's fear of intimacy, and it's connected to their their fear of. Um, fear of vulnerability, fear of dependency, unresolved dependency needs that, that were never fulfilled in life uh, are, are unable to come out in their mature relationship or in their marital relationship or their 
a significant relationship. Mm -hmm. And there's great resistance, great mm -hmm. resistance to that as if it, it would bring utter humiliation to do mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, and so now he's put in a, you know, a dependent position. Life forces him into this dependent position. That's right. That's right. Just stuck in that wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, from what you said, just said, the cultural, the cultural complex, the culture supports a certain view of masculinity that leaves out the, mm -hmm. uh, this generalization leaves out that it dependency does. needs yeah. as a part of masculinity. Yeah. I, I was thinking about Hemingway and I was quite, surprised this is yesterday i was quite surprised i said boy um he he and this character of jeff jeffries i had some similarity there and you know this is 1954 hemingway oh, yeah. was you know reaching his peak uh at least in 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 um uh, public awareness and I don't know when he got the Nobel Prize. But mm. It may have been somewhere in there. But um, there's a sense that his, uh, his personality is so dominated by this aggressive, masculine, mm -hmm. macho, going out into dangerous situations, mm -hmm. and, yeah. which is what Lisa is reacting to. Why, yeah. why, why is that the only way to exist? Right. Right? Why, is right. the, why is there not? softness why is there not domesticity why isn't yes. there yes. you know some of her world right right and they'll have each other i mean they'll connect they'll be right right relationships so yeah right. and we see him um it, uh, interesting to track and you know it's only after multiple viewings yes right 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 put this stuff together he, we see him pat the first night that she comes to visit him and they talking about marriage and he either she sees his resistance and then she and then he says at some point well why can't we keep it status quo and she goes to leave and instead of saying good um good night she says goodbye goodbye and he yeah. panics yes and because she's he's afraid that this is it he's she's going to yeah. leave yeah and the late relationship will be over and yeah. you know i think dan that's when everything gets ratcheted up about his suspicions about Thorwald killing his wife. Oh, is that interesting? Say, say more about that. Well, that he's so threatened by the loss of Lisa that he's got to distract her. Mm. I think it's a great distraction and project all of this murderous rage onto Thorwald. Ah. Or... It's so interesting. Well, it's, it certainly pulls her into, you know, this, uh, you know, after her, her first um, reaction to his voyeurism, but mm -hmm. then he pulls her into this uh, drama that's unfolding. He pulls her. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's a, interesting to think about that. He, he had this sense of panic. Yeah. Right. And and what occurred to me was he was so into his thinking and Lisa attempted to use her thinking function against his thinking function. And it just, you know, went down a rabbit hole it, and she ended up being frustrated and her 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 demeanor and her mm -hmm. uh, sense of uh, hopelessness, uh, mm -hmm. I think, was yeah. evident, yeah. you know, before she left. But. Perhaps 
uh, as you're saying, that he this was he he has no connection to his feeling function. Right. That that when she, because it doesn't make sense. Here he's presenting this this apparently well thought out case that the two of them can never be together for all the reasons that he gave, and then she says, "Well, goodbye," you know, implying that they'll never see each other, and then he panics. Yeah. <laughs> suggesting that he's not even aware of his feelings towards her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. And, and that the film, speaking of feeling function and connection Mm -hmm. to intuition, Mm -hmm. as rational as he is, this whole film seems to be about intuition. Right. It's all about intuition. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and so the, the rational character now becomes the detective, whereas uh, all the other characters uh-huh. are intuitively convinced that this, mm-hmm. you know, Thorwald's the murderer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you what do you make of the scene when uh, and, and there's two images that that come to me that seem parallel somehow mm. the scene when. When she first arrives, when Grace Kelly first arrives, the way Hitchcock presents this (laughs) is a shadow looming over a sleeping, another uh, uh, predominantly sleeping Jimmy Stewart. And the shadow, and it's a a long scene, Uh uh slowly comes over his face. He's not startled. He, he opens his eyes, and then then you see the camera. You see mm-hmm. her face looming in. Yes. Uh, for a kiss, and then the camera goes into this slow motion mode, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Like yes. Like this kiss. Yes. Is the kiss. This is. <laughs> this has yeah. got to be the kiss of the century or something. <laughs> the way he films this thing. Um, which is so interesting, but the only other scene where there's anything close to that in terms of a looming figure was it when he when Thorwald attacks him and he starts coming in. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no kiss, of course, but there, there's. I'm wondering what was wow. what he was thinking about that. You know, connecting those up is really really interesting. It's it's like okay, he he put a lot of thinking into uh-huh. how am I going to direct the kiss scene and how am I going to direct the, uh, the attack scene right? Uh, with these similarities. It's, it's very interesting. I don't know what to make of it is, uh, you know, well, I, I mean, go ahead. I, I, I think maybe in that early, early unfolding of the, of the plot, he does see her as a threat. Mm-hmm. It's gonna, she's too perfect i have yeah. to let her know it's the only honest thing to do yeah, yeah even yeah. though the kiss is <laughs> it's like it wasn't in the psychoanalytic article said something about the 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 kiss of the hero but but by the princess is gonna yeah 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 instead of, it's a reversal of the yeah. prince kissing yeah. the sleeping beauty yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there are other hitchcock kisses like this the one in marnie where uh that he he zeroes Sean in. Connery, yeah, yeah, Sean Connery and Tippy. He just zeroes in on that connection, the physical connection between man and woman. He, it's like uh, it's so numinous to him. Yeah, it's like the connection he never had and is 
Alfred Hitchcock in his life, maybe yeah. just captivated by that. Yeah. Um, the the conjunctio. The conjunctio, right? Is so um, right, that union. It's numinous. Right. Yeah, the, the, it, just the way he filmed that. There's a numinosity to yeah, it. Definitely. And then the other kissing scene where they're just in each other's arms. Uh, the second night she's over, maybe it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he immediately goes to the window to look yeah, at yeah. what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such a huge distraction. Yeah. I want to bring in here, though, um, it, I think we mentioned that there's a seminal article in film studies by, um, perhaps you know it, by Laura Mulvey mm. in 1975 called Visual Pleasure Narrative Cinema. And she uses Rear Window, and I think she uses a couple other Hitchcock films to name the male gaze. Mm. And it's the and and so that phrase has been taken up by film studies and other psychological um, and, and film to mm -hmm. talk about the we would say now the patriarchal gaze of men looking at women as mm. objects mm. for their own pleasure, mm. and that's all through this film from the yeah. opening shot of the um, when Jeff is on the phone with his uh, boss. Yeah. The helicopter is yeah, 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 circling yeah. the rooftop and sees these sunbathing women. Yeah. And Jeff oogling um, his torso. And yeah. It's, it's, that's the part where it can come off as uh, Hitchcock getting that uh, patriarchal yes. um, view of women. Women yeah. are there just to be passive objects for male, yeah. male gaze. You're right. And even the detective, that scene with, even, um, right. Where he comes in and and Lisa's there and he sees the nightgown and he's yes. and uh, Je uh, Jimmy Stewart says, watch it. What right. he says, he warns him, watch right. it. Because he right. knew what he was thinking. Right. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like the like it's okay if he objectifies, but it's not okay if the detective objectifies. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. uh, so I was thinking of going back to this idea that this is about longing. Uh, I remember okay. the scene with the artist, or well, they're all artists, but the yeah. artist with the sculptor, when asked what it's called, okay. she said hunger. Yes. Um. And and perhaps, you know, as we said, that this rear window and all these characters and all the the passion and emotional uh, content and suffering um, is all going on within Jeffries. Mm. And he is completely unaware of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought of that too, Dan, that even Miss Lonely Heart mm -hmm. is the the is is imaging a part of himself that he has no connection with but he's fascinated by yeah what happened you know just watching her go on this date um just sit and drink and fantasize dating someone and you know imagining a, a man in the, her apartment that somehow somewhere i thought maybe he by rejecting Lisa and being married, he's maybe a tad worried about being alone, but it's mm -hmm. so out of his consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, he's, yeah, I think you're right about that because he's, he's too casual. He's, mm -hmm. you know, he's sleeping. He's, you know, 
Um, he reminds me of the character uh, Nick Carraway in the Ga- in Great Gatsby. Oh, He's okay. just observing life, you know, and it's so easy to judge the the life that's unfolding and that he's writing about mm-hmm. um, or narrating. Mm, mm-hmm. But what about judging his life when he's not living? Everybody else is at least living, right? Mm. All of these characters in, in Rear Window, they're living. They may be suffering. They may right. be in, in heaven. They may be, you know, uh, creating, um, but they're living Yes. in a way that he isn't. And even yes, he isn't. Even though before he, before his accident, he was a gallivanting journalist around the world. Right. And maybe I wonder if we could say that that was incomplete for him in some way. Yeah. It, it went too one-sided. Too one-sided. It, it lacked too intimacy. One-sided. It was what it was. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, we could imagine him doing this all by himself. You know, he didn't talk about relationships other than with his editor or mm-hmm. his boss mm-hmm. and this old friend from the war. Right. The detective. You right. know, but we don't have a sense that his life is at all filled with intimacy. Or, yeah, meaningful and, and meaningful friendships, relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Um, right. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. is is the 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 predator in him mm-hmm. that's going after such dangerous life situations kind of as a voyeur, right? Mm-hmm. He's taking pictures of dangerous life situations, um, mm-hmm. countries that are being overthrown, yeah, uh, race race races, car races, um, mm-hmm. and that he's he's kind of feeding off off mm. of that yeah, it's right putting it right feeding off of it right but it's not nourishing it's not it's no. not it's not nourishing his soul no um right and on some level he knows this on some level i think he knows this yeah and could we say yeah i, I agree i think that's great and, and maybe could we say that that's the self the archetypal self at work this mm-hmm. accident mm-hmm. to put him in this immobile Mm-hmm. vulnerable position that's so uh, compensatory to yeah. how he was living his life so that he can um, face some of these uh, things that have been left out of his life. Yeah. Life. Yeah. I read, uh, I've been seeing this. It's attributed to Jung. I've, I've been seeing it three places over the last couple of days, three completely different mm. places. One of which is in the, in the black book, uh, and Sonu Shamdasani mentions it in the in the first one, but he says, um, "Whatever is not made conscious mm. meets us in the outer world as fate." Yes. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And I think that's I think that one line sums up this film: that whatever is not made conscious meets us in the outer world as fate. That that all that transpired in this film is fateful. In some mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. yeah, it comes off as all projection, but it's fateful projection. Yes, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. Um, I wanted to also mention to remind us because we mentioned this in Gaslight, mm. the uh, allusion to fairy tales because oh. Gaslight we had a we had a, 
mm-hmm. uh, um, um, husband that undermine the it, the sanity and integrity of a woman, his his wife. But mm-hmm. here we have a murderer. And mm-hmm. here here we have a blue beard. Yes. Right. In the flesh. Right. In in the flesh. Now this is this is dismemberment. So yes. I think it's. Um, it's an interesting illusion. There's a lot about dismemberment in mm-hmm. this in this dialogue and storyline. Uh-huh. Yeah. It 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 haunts the whole film. It does. It, and we never we never see it. We you know, goodness. But it's uh it it Hitchcock puts us right there in its mention, but it goes right into our imagination. I mean, at one point, who said does Jeff say, How do you do that? How do you when he sees it? He does. He says, how do you cut up a human body? Yeah. But then the humor, too, like uh, the nurse, uh, the Thelma Riddick character, Stella, says uh, uh, something about at the end, you know, when they <laughs> yeah, discover yeah, yeah. that the head may be in a hat box. And he says, do you want to, the detective says, do you want to see it? And she says, I don't want any part of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then she or, realizes what she said. Yeah. yeah, she gets the pun, which puns are... Hitchcock has said that puns are the highest form of intelligence. I mean, that's the kind of humor we're dealing with here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a pu'er kind of humor. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think she has, Stella has an earlier comment about they wouldn't be able to get my wedding ring or finger, my wedding ring off my finger. They'd have to cut my finger off. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. All these humorous yeah. allusions to this dismemberment. Um, yeah, and yeah, and and the ring itself. I'm glad you mentioned that becomes mm. a symbol, right? It becomes mm. the key bit of evidence. Yes. To um, convince the detective, right? That that you know there's something here. There's this. There's, there's right. something here, and right. and of course Lisa goes after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that she puts it on her finger. She does. I mean, the whole this whole thing is about marriage and and the conjunctio and yeah. you know and and here the the uh the proof it raises the the value of the image of the ring and of course the ring itself is an image of the of wholeness and the self and and so forth right right yes it's it it's it's interesting <laughs> yeah the other thing i wanted to say uh that I didn't catch, I cut the last, this recent time, is that the temperature, and the camera <laughs> deliberately shows the temperature yes. at the beginning of the film the in the 90s, 92, yes. 93. Yes. And then at the end, yes. <laughs> it's at 70. It's, <laughs> it's like, which is so alchemical and so Jungian, uh-huh. isn't it, right? Yeah. That the, the, this heating up uh-huh. uh, of the vessel that he's in. Right is um, is everything that's going on in the film, uh, yes. and it heats up to this this crescendo, crescendo yeah. and that then you know then the resolution of it then brings the temperature down. It brings the temperature down, but Hitchcock being Hitchcock, I would say, wouldn't you that it's left ambiguous? Yeah, yeah. You know, with that last scene of Lisa in kind of more. <laughs> blue jeans and loafers not in her high heels yeah yeah and reading a book about the himalayas but then takes out her harper's bazaar yeah it's just not clear and he's and of course uh, jeff's got two broken legs 
yeah, 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 yeah. Thrown out the window by Thorwald. But it's 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 that's the the trickster we were saying earlier the trickster work of art that is left ambiguous. Yeah, and that feels so Hitchcocky, and there's no kind of tying all this up. The heat may have broken. Right, right. But and there's no resolution obvious in the character, the two protagonists. Um, but the resolution is in the outer, in the in the in the rear window stuff. I mean, there's you know, the the Lonely Hearts, Miss Lonely Hearts finds the songwriter, and that's a budding relationship. The uh, tor- Miss Torso, yeah, the you know why they call her Miss Torso. Uh, um, her husband or boyfriend comes home. You know who you wouldn't expect. There's a lot of unexpected yes. things, yes. right? Yes. yes. Uh, the married couple that's uh, presumably be having sex throughout this whole film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the husband uh, loses his job or, or or quits his job, and the wife gets all upset. I wouldn't have married you if you. I knew you were going to quit your job. Right. Um, so some resolution, but some not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there was a, 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 a review a, a separate mm-hmm. from the, the article that I told you about. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a one page thing by Gerald Eisenberg that I found on the PEP mm-hmm. from 2001. And his conclusion was that the mm-hmm. two were transformed. Um, oh. his, his impression was when Thorwell catches Jeffrey spying on him, he comes to his apartment to kill him. Jeffrey's manages to hold Thorwell off just long enough by using flashbulbs to blind him. No longer the merely passive photographer observer. The change of camera use becomes the symbol of Jeffrey's transformation. When he falls from the window through which he has been peeping, he breaks his other leg. Yet now with two casts on, he's no longer psychologically immobilized. Both he and Lisa have grown up. <laughs> I don't know if, if you would agree with that. I, you? I, you know, I, maybe this is my stuff, but I really don't agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's really no evidence in that that anything's changed, that the situation has changed. No, no. You know, I, maybe what hit, what, you know, the Hitchcock rescuing uh, romance, if, if that was part of what, transpires in the rear windows um might suggest that there is change in their relationship but but we don't know that no i I would say we don't yeah i i would say maybe i would concede that maybe he's not going to do his voyeurism anymore Uh that 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 the fact that that image of of the blinding with the flash bulbs, yeah, 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 the opposite of that intense voyeurism, yeah. So the blinding and the voyeurism maybe are a pair of opposites that maybe he's learned his lesson, and that yeah. maybe brings us to this whole issue that you brought up about um, privacy and social media, yeah. Previously, um, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I was thinking about that. I think it's a really great contemporary, you know, uh, theme to bring in. Um, and I think the whole issue of social media is very, um, uh, 
I can't think of the word to use, but it, I think it gives us an illusion of control. Mm. And so um, we think we're connected, but in a lot of instances, we're not. And the epidemic of loneliness in the culture, I think, yeah. speaks to that. Yeah, I, I agree. The, 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 the paradox for me is that social mm. media is about the front window. <laughs> it's, it's what we want people to see. The, the, yes. the rear window in, in this film is what we don't want people to see. Right. Um, All about the shadow. Right. All about the shadow. But I think the, uh, mm -hmm. which is interesting as far as the theme in terms of integration of the shadow, if the mm -hmm. film is, you know, again, a Jungian spin, if the film is about integration of the shadow in order for the anima uh, work for the man to be done. Right. Anima animus work uh, that needs to be done. The shadow first has to be integrated. Mm -hmm. um, that, that would be telling. But if we look at social media and what it means that only this, only this well-sculpted version of ourselves mm -hmm. is presented, Mm -hmm. That simply constellates the jealousy and envy uh, yeah. of and others. The trolls, all the and the trolls. trolls. Yes, yeah. yes. That's right. Yeah. Which brings us to the speech that that one of the neighbors says when the dog is killed. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad Where you brought that up. Where is your neighborly feeling? Yeah. Uh, we don't care for each other anymore. Yeah. Um, that seemed pretty central, even though it was not, uh, uh, um, I don't, I, and then, I, you know, Dan, it made me think of it, 10 years later, do you know this case? It was a famous case at the time, but it was this 1964 uh, in New York, a woman, I Googled it because uh, it, uh, Kitty, Gen her name was Kitty Genovese, the Kitty Genovese murder in New York, she was murdered and raped. And she screamed out and all these neighbors heard her and did nothing. And mm, I remember that. Called the bystander effect. I remember that. Yeah. And so Hitchcock, I think, is kind of prescient in that way. Yeah. That the film has elements of this with the speech when the dog is killed. Of course, it fits with the plot that uh, as soon as it, 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 you know, we said earlier, it's so well constructed. You can almost track how... Jeff and Lisa go in and out of, well, it can't be true, it's not true. And then like Doyle had, the detective has just said, I have all this evidence to show that she was not murdered. Yeah. And then the dog is killed. Yes. Or, or, or um, Miss Lonely Hearts is attacked. Or, yes. So there's this off balance all the time yeah. that keeps us as viewers in this unsettled, what's going on, we don't know. Also, the image of the apartment, you, there's a blind spot in Thor. We, I think we mentioned this. There's a yeah, yeah. blind spot in Thorwell's apartment. Yeah, that yeah. You cannot see yes. the action there. Yes. It's just so brilliant, right? It is because it, it creates a desire in the, in the viewer to want to be in, to want to be in there, right? We and the frustration know. that you're, we're yeah. stuck in Jeffrey's apartment. Mm -hmm. We're all stuck there. We're all stuck, We're stuck there. there with him. Right, right. We're all, and you know, there's there's this idea too of uh, as film viewers, we are also immobile in our chairs. Yes, watching yes. The film. 
Yeah. And the whole film, it just implicates us in terms of our own guilt mm. for watching. Um, I think in that psychoanalytic article, he talks about the um, uh, film viewer as um, this, 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 this film is about film viewing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, um, yes. Um, and he also, uh, I, I, I think it was in there that this idea that everything is from Jeffrey's point of view until the murderer breaks into his apartment mm -hmm. and the viewer for the first time, the audience for the first time gets to see what the murderer sees. And that's when the, the flash, the flashlights yeah. are going up, the flash bulbs are going off. Mm -hmm. The camera shows us what Thorwald is seeing. Right. Right. That he's, you know, and the adjustment back to, back to uh, eyesight. Um, yeah. It has a particular psychological effect, right? That, okay, now the murderer isn't across the courtyard anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not so distant. The murderer is right there. The, mm -hmm. In fact, now we're in the psychological perspective of the murderer, which yeah. is interesting to think about, right? That, yeah. that Hitchcock has masterfully yeah. made the murderer little by little closer and closer and closer, uh, you know, suggesting, well, the murderer is in us, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. The murderer is really in us. And uh, which was uh -huh. what, you, you know, which was Jung's idea of the shadow, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yep. We've met the enemy and he is us. He is us. Yeah. 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 Even watching it again, even like, we don't, when, when Lisa's across the courtyard and she looks up at Jeff, the camera doesn't see what she sees. It's always Jeff. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. It's, I wanted to see her from yeah, her yeah. point of view. Yes, yes. Looking up at him and seeing him, and I, but that doesn't happen. No. Always his point of view until Thorwald is on top of him. <laughs> just so interesting to, to the, just the, um, Oh, what would it what would it be the the uh, discipline? Mm. Hitchcock's discipline. Uh, this is his version. This is not mm. necessarily in the short story. I I haven't read the short story, or, mm. but mm -hmm. that he the temptation to to go outside had to have been great, right? To tell the story. Mm. I mean, he, he had to deliberately, you know, decide. Okay, this is. You know, even the beginning of the film with the opening credits, he's you know slowly raising mm -hmm. the shades. Right? Yeah. This is yeah. this is opening up a world from which we're going to have this one perspective and be locked into it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's so that's that's just so interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think true. <laughs> In that we're all locked into our own perspective. We really are. We, yeah. we, uh, we struggled. I mean, that's the work, right? To get out of our perspective and to see how we're not the, the universe doesn't organize around us. That's right. Um, anything, um, anything mm, else? Mm, the ethical dilemma. Uh. 
ethical dilemma of warriorism. I mean, mm. there's actually, yeah, that comes up in there, doesn't it? It does. There are actually explicit lines, and here this is the trickster archetype again. The trickster has carries that moral ambiguity. There's actually a line where, when they, when finally the detective says, "No, I've got all this evidence to prove that that uh, Mrs. Thorwell was not murdered," Jeff actually says, "I wonder if it's ethical." to watch a man with binoculars and a long focus lens. Is it even ethical, even if it's proved that he didn't commit a crime? Yeah. So he's really working over this theme. And Lisa yeah. does it too. Lisa's caught up in that and say, we're so ghoulish. How can we be so depressed that they're here? Doyle just presented the evidence that he's the wife isn't murdered and they're disappointed. So yes. has that, that whole um, guilt dilemma uh sin punishment guilt i think yeah. all of this is in the film yes of, um the voyeurism and uh well, see it seems the other side of the coin of intimacy right if the mm. accusation by that woman is that nobody nobody cares nobody pays mm -hmm. attention nobody um that and you know the accusation is there's no intimacy there's no closeness there's no mm -hmm. um that the other side of the coin is voyeurism meaning that mm -hmm. once once you start looking into um another um it, it's it can take on this question of voyeurism right mm -hmm. i mean there has to be for it to not be voyeurism, it has to be consent, and it has to be mm -hmm. <laughs> agreement by both parties to 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 share uh, each other's in, inner life. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is a pair of opposites. It's not when you have real authentic intimacy. There's not voyeurism there. There's no secrets right. or that's right. hidden hidden aspects or. Uh, secrets to right 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 you know the other thing that i didn't mention but that stands out in one of my viewings was the very beginning if we mm -hmm. the the first the first words spoken come from a radio that <laughs> is in the uh the songwriter's apartment when he's uh -huh. getting ready he's waking up it's it's in the morning and the the a commercial comes on Mm -hmm. It's a man's voice that says, are you over 40? Uh, are you a man over 40? Uh, are you listless and tired and, you know, like that, which kind of sets the stage. It implies that if there's, uh, if there's emotional d d disability going on, if there's, a, if there's psychological stasis going on, that the problem is with the masculine. <laughs> Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And the masculine is listless, right? Uh -huh. um, and that you know, this is uh, this is the remedy. Apparently, <laughs> you know the, that that uh, the, the psychological work has to be uh, integrating the shadow, confronting the shadow, uh, out of this listlessness. Right, right. But my fantasy is that commercial might have been for some pre Viagra. Yeah. Remedy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, to yeah, because he shut it off. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right, right. 
<laughs> and then we've got the image of the, the, the phallus and the broken, the, this huge cast dominating the. the huge uh, cast. I never saw a cast like that going all the way up to his <laughs> chest. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's- I mean, he could. Well, they would have to because he couldn't even get up to go lock the door. Right. He knew Thor, <laughs> Thor wall is coming down the, the hallway and he couldn't even get up to do anything about it. Right. Well, everybody just walks in. The doors are not locked. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing maybe we should mention, too, is um, the dream references. And, of course, uh, he's dozing through a lot of the beginning of the film and misses some of the action. Um, mm. Keeps us off guard. A key um, piece. A, a key um, scene. Yeah, a key piece. Right, right. But the um, this whole connection between... Is he dreaming? Some of the songs that are played have, mm. uh, if I'm dreaming, lever, let, me, let me not awake. Mm. It's, it's so fascinating because cinema and, fil- and dreams have been connected. It's said that um, cinema is a collective dream mode. Mm. That, you know, it's unstoppable images when we dream that we can't turn off. Yeah. And that um, dreaming is like a, you know, a cinema of the mind. Yeah. So um, there's this connection between cinema and dreams. Yeah. So that's in the film too, and that goes along with that's the a good point and projection. Right. Um, right. That's a real good point. This whole thing is like a dream, right? Yeah. And he's dreaming. Yeah. What What else do you make of this sleep? Sleepy. I mean, there's this, this dominance of sleepiness. He starts out sleeping, he ends the film sleeping. And he's dozing off. He misses when um, Thorwald's he bring Thorwald brings his girlfriend to the apartment, mm-hmm. and then they're seen leaving, and everybody thinks that's Mrs. Thorwald, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he misses that. We see it, but he doesn't. Right. Right. Um, reminds me of uh, Rip Van Rip Van Winkle. You know this. Yeah. Well, like to your earlier point. Um, he's living a one-sided life. Maybe we could say he's been sleeping. He's sleeping. Not, a, not fully awake to his yeah. life and all of what needs to unfold to yeah. make him get out of that one-sided uh, way of living and be more whole. To grow up. To grow um, up. I mean, this the Puer and, and Hitchcock's... <laughs> masculine characters uh mm-hmm. Cary grant north by northwest um mm. even in notorious uh, even notorious yeah yeah they're terrified of intimacy uh-huh yeah mm. 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 Well, well what do you think Anything, anything left unsaid? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so either. So we'll leave them in an ambiguous state of (laughs) deciding what to do with their relationship. (laughs) I'm voting for Lisa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Feisty. I mean, she's so strong as a as a female character. She really is a strong female character, and that Mm -hmm. comes across. She's she. She calls him rude, but she takes it and she comes back. She she 
she when she and, and you know it's like that line with about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Ginger mm-hmm. Rogers does everything that Fred does, even, yeah. but she is in heels and backward doing and backwards. It backwards. Yes, well, she's not. She's proving she wants to prove to Jeff that she can be adventurous and, and daring, and and does that. He does that all. Um, he needs that. Yeah, he needs that. Yeah. For some reason, what does that? What do you think that says about his relationship to the anima? That, um, I mean, if the if the beginning suggests that it's it's um, it's static, it's uh-huh. disabled, it's impaired, uh-huh. um, that he's you know if she you know as an anima figure for him well why is he expecting all of this danger mm-hmm. you know what i mean um mm-hmm. that's a, an enigma to me why does he need this danger or, or maybe it's manifesting the danger um in terms of his relationship with anonymous it's dominated by all this danger in terms of his work in terms of you know finding dangerous life situations to photograph that his relationship to the anima is characterized by all this danger, but it's unconscious. And then the film or the story makes it conscious by virtue of the fact that, you know, this woman that he loves is put in this mortal danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I I think we could, we could we name it the Puer animus, Mm. Uh, sorry, the Puer anima. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. that's a puer anima that yeah, but you're right that that he's got to see it and project it and see it in the outer world yeah to understand it more yeah yeah I you know there's a great scene <laughs> where when she puts the letter early on when or not maybe a third a third of the way through the film they they decide he's gonna she's gonna go over to the his apartment Thorwald's apartment and slip the note in that he writes. That's right. What happened to her? What, what did you do with her? Right, to kind of right, right. right. More. And she comes back and there's a shot of Jeff looking at her with such love because yeah, yeah, yeah. she dared to do that. Yeah. Um, he's just enamored of that piece of her that is able to do that. And uh, I think what you're saying of him yeah, is yeah. still caught in that, uh, that adventurous ego. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, again, it goes back to, you know, why do these women have to go, yeah. have to go through such lengths to be in relationship with them? Cause there's no evidence of his, you know, taking in domesticity, taking in, you know, a, uh, a softer version of human existence. I, it, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. My thinking when he, when you see both casts, you know, both legs and casts, my thinking is, when is he going to wake up? What does it take? It's almost like toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What will it take for him to wake up and see that what he's doing is incomplete and not working, yeah. putting people that he loves in danger? Yes, yes. What's it going to take? The, de- the desperation of that. You know, we talk yeah. about how for psychological work, to mm-hmm. progress, there has to be a realization of one's desperateness, right? Mm. That the that the unconscious it, it gets 
activated with in situations of desperation. Right. And um, I thought that the moment of desperation was when she was being attacked and oh, yeah. he was helpless to do anything about it. Yeah. And of course, we see that clinically. People, right. a lot, people will not change until things get really urgent and they're right. back against the wall and right. then they'll consider submitting to right. what's going on. And Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're, uh, I think we're, we we nailed it. Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much, Judith. Thanks. Uh, This is wonderful again. Thank you so much. And we'll, um, we'll be, be, be thinking about our next film uh, for the next installment of healing cinema. Terrific. Okay. It's good to see you. Same here. Good to see you. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker, but please do not change it or sell it. If you like this episode, tell your friends about us or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about classes, training programs, videos, audio, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, www.jungchicago.org. Thank you to our 2020 donors who gave at the contributing member level and above. Farah Anand, Usha and Ashar Beatty, Jackie Cape, Brian, Eric Cooper and Judith Cooper, Kevin Davis, George J. Didier, Mary Doherty, James Fidelibus, John Korolewski, Marty Manning, Diane Sherwood, Deborah P. Stutzman, Deborah Tobin, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Pop, Gerald Weiner, Karen West and James Taylor, and Ellen Young. If you would like to join our generous community of supporters, just go to youngchicago.org slash give.